Monday, March 7th, just baseball show lockout continues. But hey, you get to ban the shift. Yippee. And wouldn't you know, bigger bases. That'll make baseball more exciting, Arm Layton, won't it? <laughs> hey, actually, though, I'm all in on the bigger bases. Players apparently like it. Um, there's nothing against it. I'm cool with the bigger bases. But like the fact that someone was drafting that up, right? Like this is stuff we're wasting time on right now when. We've got a lot of things to sort out. It's okay. It's all right. Uh, we inched a little bit closer, right? Five million on the uh, <laughs> on the free art pool, and that's it. That's like, it. Okay, listen, non-starter. We need a pitch clock. Otherwise, I'm not. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing it. Like, I'm just yeah. not baseballing ever again without the pitch clock. <laughs> without the yeah, the owners are just starting to cram all these other things in there, just knowing that the players will hate them. Like, oh, you also need to stand on both of your hands in the sixth inning if you're down more than three runs and then they know that the players are gonna be like we don't want to do that and they're like well then drop the cbt uh, that that's that's i think that's the angle now so soon enough they'll be saying you know you can run the bases backwards uh but that's only in the bottom of the sixth when you're on the road and it's above 80 degrees out um, i think that would bring more enjoyment to the game too Okay, let, let's play a mini game here before we get going, because we are going to talk about underrated rotations, underrated starting pitchers in Major League Baseball today. My At the end knows. of the pod, stay tuned if you're interested on learning a little bit more about who's going to be in the NCAA tournament, because you and I both have this obsession with college basketball. Yeah. I work in college basketball. You're watching it all the time. Uh, we're going to give you a rundown on a couple of the automatic qualifiers, the automatic bids that have already been uh, grabbed Murray State out of the Ohio Valley, Loyola out of the Missouri Valley. I know nothing about Longwood, uh, but we could talk about Longwood if we want. It's a dumb um, name. But it, quick game before we get into all this. Tell me if I'm outdated in this thinking or I'm thinking modernly because I have no idea. I'm super anti banning the shift. Um, no, I don't, I don't have a problem with anybody who feels that way. To me, it's not like the, the DH thing. Uh, cause I think the DH got to the point where it was like, okay, just get with the times and let's just allow for the DH. Let's just, let's just move forward as a sport. Uh, when it comes to the shift, look, I, I totally identify with both sides. I know that's, I don't, I don't like being that person, but it's just one of those things I don't have a huge, strong feeling on. Cause on some ends, I totally understand what people are saying about how, you got a pitcher that hits his spots. The whole defense is going on one side. You've got Manny Machado in, in deep right field. Like I can understand how that's just kind of annoying and it, it limits the ability to see rangy plays and some of those superstar type of traditional baseball plays that we get. Look, I, I'm, I'm not saying I totally feel that way. I'm just saying I can understand that is the perspective that a lot of people give. I can also understand the perspective of just like if you can't hit through the shift or against the shift, then figure it out. I get it. I get it. But baseball has become increasingly harder over the last 10 years, right? It has become 
exponentially harder from what all of the players who say baseball uh, should stay with its roots and whatever. I get it. But dude, hitting a baseball is so much harder than it was before. And the shift is just adding to the equation of even when you do hit it, it is impossible. Batting average on balls in play continues to drop year after year after year. I don't have a strong opinion. I'm just playing the devil's advocate. Yeah, no, I appreciate you playing the devil's advocate because I'm sitting here saying like, okay, we've and we've talked about this before on the pod. Baseball is as cyclical a sport as we have. I don't think the NBA is ever deviating from this three-point love affair that they have right now. I don't think football's ever getting away from being pass-heavy and as pass-heavy as it has become. Uh, But I think baseball, the competitive advantage is still going to swing. Like the pendulum is still going to go back and forth over the next couple of years. I do, because I think hitters will figure something out. Um, I think the the idea of, you know, we went from low fastball to elevated fastball. I think we're going to get back down to the knees in, I don't know, 15 years, 20 years. But like, that's the thing. Baseball, if you look at it in generalities over the course of 10, 15, 20 years, things continue to swing back and forth in the advantage of the hitters and pitchers. Um, yes, hitting has gotten harder, but isn't the whole point of competing in a sport to try and gain a competitive advantage. So any way you can figure out how to get a competitive advantage over a pitcher, do it. Pitchers and defenses have already figured out a way to have a competitive advantage over a hitter. If they put the ball in play on the right side all the time, put one more defender on the right side, right? I I get it. I'm totally with you on that. But, and this is something I I wish I, I thought about before the podcast and did some research on. But the three-second rule, the three-second rule in the NBA. When, is that when, when was you that drop in- food? Oh, the three-second rule. Okay. Yeah, I, no, no, I not it was that like one. Five-second rule when you drop food, you can't eat it after five seconds. Okay. I, I'll, I'll still. Well, it depends on what kind of food. But You're gross, man. Um, Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> and it depends where I am. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, to, to continue, like the three-second rule in basketball wasn't that implemented. I, I could be totally wrong on this. You might know better than me. Wasn't that implemented after just pure domination by Shaq? I think so. Well, defensive three seconds. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not sure about offensive, but there's no defensive three second in college basketball. Uh, that doesn't exist in college basketball. Defensive three seconds only exists in the NBA. And I think that was a Shaq development. So that's kind of an instance here. Like they, they found you know, somebody, you, you found an opportunity here with just big ass dudes uh, that could just anchor the, the bottom of the hoop or right under the hoop and just, just stand there and protect it. And they had to do something about it. Like it was so bad that they had to do something about it. Like, is that, is that apples to oranges here? Uh, no, I, I'm not saying it's a direct, but it is at least somewhat of an example of a sport adapting because somebody found a loophole that makes it not that fun to watch. Yeah. I think it's apples to green apples. Like I think yeah, it's yeah, apples yeah. to sour apples. Yes. Um, correct. It's like, it's like the, it's like the red sweet apple that I never really liked. Those were kind of nasty. The ones that always have the worm in it on the teacher's table, yes. like uh, on the teacher's desk. Those suck. Green apples are always better. Yeah. I can, I'll, I'll take that. I'll yeah. take that. Um, well, it would also be fun because I think Rudy Gobert would be a first ballot hall of famer. <laughs> He'd be the Andre Drummond would still be elite. Yeah, <laughs> he would just absolutely. stand there like this. Just be like, whatever. Um, <laughs> absolutely. But, Let's I run through it. a couple of baseball headlines real quick. Yeah. Okay. So I have a bunch of different places to start. Um, and, and I guess we'll leave it on the, on the, to wrap up on the shift. You don't like it, but you think you could get used to it. Like this isn't a backbreaker. Like this isn't a deal breaker for you, right? You, you're not going to be real upset about this or. No. 
No, I'm not pissed, man. I mean, like if, if Kyle Schwarber hits 280, then I'm, I'm super happy for Kyle Schwarber. That's the thing, right? You, 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 you gotta also acknowledge it. We wanted higher, higher batting averages. We wanted a little bit more, like maybe that'll bring back some more bat to ball in the game. Think about that because yeah. right now Gallo thinks he has to hit it over the wall. Now he knows maybe I can get it through. Maybe it'll bring back a little more bat to ball. Come on now. Right. It's so instead of, instead of 180, 400, 500 with the slash line, he's uh 210 370 550 that's saving the game saving the game okay so my first headline and this is what i'm really excited about um because it's close to home for you uh tim stebbins of nbc sports chicago reported that the ricketts family who owns the chicago cubs are considering the purchase of chelsea fc of the english premier league uh that won't be cheap right um Purchasing no. Chelsea will not be cheap. We've seen uh, more Americans start to invest in the Premier League in international soccer. Uh, LeBron even is a minority owner in Liverpool, uh, which is in the same league. Uh, it's expensive. It's lucrative. And that league is, quite frankly, run pretty well. Uh, they do a pretty good job. I, I just my the reason why I bring this headline up is I have a genuine question, but I also I tweeted about this. So yeah. somebody already saw it on Twitter. And I, I loved kinda, it. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I'm serious. I. I think it is really good for the Rickett family to, to diversify because they're losing so much money annually by owning the Cubs, right? <laughs> I mean, they are losing so much money by being forced. And I think they just don't want to give up the Ricketts family legacy, right? So yeah, they have no. to own this bottomless pit of money that is yeah. owning a major league baseball team. The Chicago Cubs, man, I mean, they must just be losing so much yeah, on a daily basis. Hemorrhaging base. money, brutal. So much that the owners won't even show. They won't even like show it off because they're like, we don't want you to see how bad it is. Yeah. So why not go buy Chelsea? I like that. So I just I thought that was kind of cool that the Cubs owners they know money's tight, but they're gonna find a way to buy Chelsea as well so that they can keep owning the Cubs. Yeah, no, but it, the the CBT can't go up. Absolutely not. Like, why would you ever do that, right? When, when instead you can go invest in in Mason Mountain Pulisic. Um, Pulisic's yeah, pretty I, fast, what, <laughs> what a joke. What a joke. Uh, I would love if the Ricketts family bought Chelsea because um, then that gives them something else to waste their time on because I'm kind of sick of the Ricketts uh, just trying really? to put a stranglehold on the Cubs. Um, I think they've been decent owners. I think they have been they have enabled Theo and Jed enough to build the winner in 2015, 16. And I think they will continue to understand that the Cubs need to spend money in order to um, maximize their potential. I think they know, even if they don't spend money, they're going to sell out every game and they can maximize profits there. But I, I think they're willing to, you know, okay. an offer to Correa. Like, I think that's the type of ownership group they are. Um, but it's also a family business and I don't align with the Ricketts socially very much. Uh, and Chelsea Didier Drogba in like 2010. That's awesome. Um, I know who else Eden Hazard was like the, the hazard was gas. Hazard was good. Uh, <clears throat> That's all. I mean, I'm, I'm, you're stretching me thin. Yeah. But you got, you got Pulisic now you've got Mason Mount now uh, Kurt Zuma. I think he's still there. Uh, and then Kepa. you know how much they would market Pulisic if, uh, if they bought him, you know, it's Chelsea being owned by an American uh, family or American yeah. businessman or business family. And you're, you're able to kind of bring that over here. Cause you don't have Americans performing in, in Europe and now you have the world cup. It makes sense. 
Uh, but back to the more baseball side of things, another interesting headline that, you know, I, I, I see both sides of it, but ultimately I would like to see the league have this multiple teams ask to, uh, <clears throat> sorry, let me, let me rephrase this. Multiple teams ask MLB to attempt to cancel this year's rule five draft. That was also from Kylie McDaniel and Jeff Passan of ESPN. Um, and then also was corroborated by Ken Rosenthal and Jason Stark of the athletic the reasoning behind this is that they are saying, you know, hey, we need to plan for this freaking season whenever it happens. Um, we don't know if there's going to be a Rule 5 or not, and that's something we have to be able to, to, you know, prepare for because drafting a player in the Rule 5 draft is going to mean that you have to add them to your active roster. And knowing that you might lose a guy, you know that that will open up a spot on your 40-man roster. So uh, I can understand the teams wanting to, you know, get this settled, but at the same time, the rule five draft is one of the few things in major league baseball or in baseball as a whole that acts at all to hedge service time manipulation. So I find it kind of ironic. Yeah, it's definitely ironic. Um, you know, my first thought when I saw that was why, like, okay, why? And then I, I started to get a little <laughs> bit deeper and I, I started to like kind of understand why they would want to cancel this. Um, I would be bummed if they canceled it because it gives guys like Akil Badu and Garrett Whitlock a chance to be big leaguers right away. And you know what? Maybe they're immediate contributors right away, like yeah. Badu and Whitlock, where you can go get a pretty good baseball player in the Rule 5 draft. It also, you know, opens up jobs for guys that were being, you know, blocked from jobs at the organization that they were currently employed by. So that's why I'd be bummed if it didn't happen. Uh, I understand if it doesn't happen because that is something that you can provide closure on right now. Yes. Um, but I, have, I, have I just want closure in, in I, any I aspect agree. of baseball. I agree, but I have some crazy layers to this though. It's like, if I'm the Rays, I'm pretty pissed that the rule, and even though the Rays are like a little bit nervous, maybe they're not, maybe they're not, but I'll, I'll offer the devil's advocate on this because the Rays actually are, are exposed to losing a couple prospects potentially, but the Rays also traded Joe Ryan they traded some other really good 40-man roster prospects. A couple other teams did as well. The Guardians had to add 12, 13 guys to their 40-man to try to protect them all from the Rule 5. So teams did a lot of wheeling and dealing to open up those roster spots, which if it's all for not, that would be pretty frustrating uh, on one side of it. The other thing is that this was the most loaded Rule 5 draft in a long time because of the you know canceled 2020 season. Not having the 2020 season resulted in a lot of players being a year behind in development while that another year still passed. And as a result, we had way more talented Rule 5 players. Some of those teams, I'm, I'm sure, are the ones that uh, feel like they, they want to see it canceled. I'd love to know which teams want to see that thing canceled. I, I just think that you have to roll with it because teams were operating under the assumption that the Rule 5 draft would be happening. And those that maneuvered well are going to be penalized for it. I, I don't know if I'm a big fan of that. I, I would like to see them figure this thing out. The one last thing I want to add to it is an interesting wrinkle to this is it's going to be a rare instance where the rule five draft here would be happening as these minor league guys would be playing. So, you know, for example, we're talking about how, how Griffin, you know, just because he's a good example, because he's close to home for us, like Griffin Conine, he, he wasn't out of the 40 men initially he was disappointed. Now he's happy because he'll be able to play. Let's say he, he goes, off in the first three weeks as baseball still delayed somebody's and he's hitting, pick him up yeah now somebody's going to be more inclined you're getting way more of a look at players with this delay so i think that's part of the reason why some teams want to see it canceled too 
because now you're going to get an opportunity for some players to come out hot and might be able to give teams a little bit more confidence in the rule five. Yeah, absolutely. And you can have immediate return on investment with those guys because they are hot seeing professional baseball players while the rest of major league baseball is gearing up here. So if you get picked up in the rule five draft here, you go from three weeks into the regular season to right back to spring training. You're already in midseason form. Everybody's just getting their feet wet in this new lockout, you know, just ended season. And then you're hitting the ground running when everybody else is going through the feel out process. So, yeah, I mean, that would be a very That'd be the time to rip the Akil Badu type risk. That's the yes. time to try it. You'll never yeah. get a better chance. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, question for you. Do you think a lot of those guys like, you know, I think we were expecting a guy like Griffin Conine to start at double A. We're expecting a guy like Jack Leiter to start at double A. Do you think some of these guys are going to start in double A with all these 40 man prospects out? You think there's a chance like they could, like Griffin Conine could start in Jacksonville or Jack Leiter could start in, you know, uh, what's the uh, round rock is the round rock triple A. I think it's possible. I think it's possible, but I think it's case to case, right? So with someone like Leiter, I don't think you let anything that's going on outside of Jack Leiter's bubble to affect how you handle Jack Leiter. You yeah. move the things around Jack Leiter to, to allow Leiter to, to progress the way you want. Yeah. For a case like Griffin, uh, you know, w- with him, I think, yeah, he's not the centerpiece focal point of the Marlins organization. Yes. He's a good piece. Uh, but if they need a guy in AAA, yeah, I could see them being more willing to toss him up there. Uh, but there's so many, indie ball guys or you know, journeyman filler organizational guys that I think we'll, we'll just see get scooped up um, and fill those spots in the meantime. Uh, and I think they'll probably just try to stay on par with, with the progression of everybody and, and try not to get too crazy with that. Cause that was already part of the problem last year. We saw players shuffling way too much, right. but it seemed like they tried to keep that keep, stay away from that with some of the like legit prospects. Right. So you feel like everybody that they have this contingency plan for that they have this blueprint mapped out for, they just keep them on keep pace. It. And if you can go get Matt Kemp, Matt Kemp to play some games in yes, you know, Iowa or Nashville or Indianapolis, go do it. Absolutely. I totally okay. think that's what would happen. One more headline, and maybe I'll squeeze in one more after. This one's just really funny to me. Rockies are interested in Michael Conforto. Sweet. Um, I just that's it. I just want your. What are the Rockies going to do with Michael Conforto? Yeah, I'm. I'm interested in ice cream tonight. Um, <laughs> I'm like, gonna get some. You probably not. Like I feel like I just kind kind of want to stay in and watch like Dune or something. Um, yeah, like okay, great for being interested in Conforto. I'm sure they're also interested in Trout on the trade market. Um, Here's the thing, though, is, is Conforto is a possibility. Yeah, but like, why? why? Why would they do that? And Conforto, the beauty of free agency, thank you, Kurt Bloom. Or, um, uh, yeah, was it Kurt Bloom? I have no, no. idea. Um, who was the first free agent? Kurt Flood. Kurt Flood. Oh, I thought it was, I thought it was John A. Free Agent. No, no, it's Kurt Flood. Kurt Bloom is the voice of the Birmingham Barons, the White Sox AA affiliate. Uh, but thank you, Kurt Flood, right? The first free agent deal. Those, um, most people often cross those guys up. Yeah, no, I do, I do for sure. Um, but thank you, Kurt Flood, because Michael Conforto now has the choice to say no to the Colorado Rockies. So if the Rockies come to him with, a, with something that isn't the King's ransom, he can say, you know what? I appreciate the offer, but I'll decline because I don't want to go 60 and 102 for the next five years. Well, well, 
well, here's the thing. Are you going to say Ryan Rollison? <laughs> no, no. Uh, that would be Austin Gomber, if anybody. Yeah, but true. I've been on the Austin Gomber wagon for a minute. Um, the, the thing with Conforto is we know he's a Boris client. We saw how Boris handled Castellanos. Obviously, the Reds were a team that you know, could be competing for a playoff spot. bit different in that situation. But if it's like a one-year deal and you can just go to cores and mash – that could help your stock, but at the same time, our team's going to be like, eh, I don't know. You sucked in 2021, and then you went out and uh, you hit well in course. Cool. So did CJ Crone. Uh, so I think for that reason, it just doesn't really make sense. But why are the Rockies doing this? We've seen them tied to a couple of different players. We've seen them like do weird things that imply one step forward, two steps back. What are they doing? I don't know. I, I feel so bad. I've got somebody I work with at, at Ball State, Cody Voga, who leads the uh, sports information department, who is the only Rockies fan I've ever met. Ugh. Grew up in uh, like Northwest Iowa, which is sneaky close to Colorado, and he became a Rockies fan. Uh, and he texts me every time we bring up the Rockies. And I'm like, dude, like, listen, we're only ever going to bring him up in passing. I, yeah, I, don't there's, think there's... We'll, I don't think the Rockies will ever be the focal point of a podcast. And is there ever going to be a time where we bring up the Rockies and it's positive? Mm, maybe if Zach Vane mashes in Albuquerque. And like, no, I'm very open to the idea, right? I'm, I'm here. <laughs> Me too. I'd love to I, talk about the Rockies. And it's not that I want to be negative. I'm just saying I'm trying to think about a time in which uh, I will have something positive to say about the Rockies. Right. Um, but uh, one thing that did make me a little happy today on the Rockies uh you know, side of things, Riley Pint out of retirement. Um, you know, it was a rough go for Pint, former top, what was it, number two overall pick? Four, I want to say. Top five pick for sure. Yeah, top I, five pick. Uh, you know, was hitting triple digits in high school. It's like 104. Some, yeah, dealt with some arm issues and then, you know, just could not throw strikes at all, at all. Um, and, and, you know, that's, I always have a soft spot for guys like that. You know, it's, it, I'm, everybody's always saying, oh, he's a bust, blah, blah, blah. Imagine how much pressure is on him. Everybody's so disappointed that their first round pick didn't pan out. Trust me. I was that kid saying, oh, this guy's a bum too. When I was 15, 16, whatever, just being involved as you can, I know you can attest to this being involved with players, just getting to know them, seeing the human side of it. Uh, it really makes you pull for guys like this. I'm not saying Riley Pint's going to be the, the front end guy that he could be that he, everyone thought he could be and this frontline starter, but you know what? He's a damn talented kid. He, I guess he retired because at the time, you know, maybe things mentally were just seemed insurmountable, but I, it seems like he was able to, you know, get himself into a good spot, I'm assuming, and, and wants to come back. That is awesome. And uh, Riley Pine deserves closure and knowing he gave it his best go. So I am very happy, positive headline, very happy to see Riley Pine giving it another shot with the Rockies. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I root for those guys actually harder than anybody else. Absolutely. Um, and, and this one will hit for you too. Uh, my first professional baseball game that I ever called was the Auburn Double Days, who were the short season affiliate of the Nationals, visiting the Batavia Muck Dogs, who were the short cool. season affiliate of the Miami Marlins. You went to Batavia? I went to Batavia. God bless. Yeah, I mean, it was brutal. Um, and those were day trips, too. We didn't stay in Batavia for that series. It was just down and back, and it was like an hour and a half. Um, but that was my first pro baseball game that I ever called. And, yeah. you know, you see, like, the cutthroat nature of – um, the Cape, you were on there. You were you were calling games on Cape Cod, and you can see a temp guy. If he has a bad inning of relief, he is gone the next day, and that's brutal. Yeah. Think about a guy like Tyler Kolick, 
who went second overall. Big righty from Texas. I've thought about him plenty. Big righty from Texas. He was sitting 100, was topping at 102 when he was a high school senior. Marlins take him two overall. Was that 2015? Yeah. 2015. I saw him on opening day of short season ball in 2019. Tyler Kolick came on. He walked the first four guys he saw, and then he was yanked. And that just kills you inside. You're like, okay, well, yeah, you've got $5 million burning a hole in your back pocket, but think about the mental shit that that guy has gone through for the last four years. He's got to figure it out. He's got to figure it out. And he never figured it out. No. And that's a guy who, who stepped away as well. And you know, a lot of arm issues with him. And yeah, that's one that, I mean, I saw up and close and personal Marlins fans just, just ripping and ripping. And I get it. Like you forget, you forget, but you know, it's, I just couldn't imagine how difficult that was for Tyler Cole. No, man. I mean, we were sitting there and, and we were looking at the roster and I was talking to, to my other broadcast. We were like, oh shit, Tyler Kolick's on the roster. And then we saw him in like the fifth or sixth inning. And we were both just like sad as shit yeah. after we like went to a break for the pitching change. We were like, that is so sad for that guy. It's brutal to watch. So I'm hoping for the best for Riley Pine. Absolutely. I mean, we know he has the talent, even if it's as a reliever, right? Find those two pitches fastball breaking ball and and hopefully you can make it play from there yeah. uh, but you know he's still he's still young too so we'll see how it happens for pint um and then i i think that's pretty much it i had a couple other not that you know big time headlines that probably don't need to be squeezed in there the only other thing that was a positive headline mlb players create one million dollar fund for workers impacted by the lockout love it very awesome. dope very dope love that so let's talk underrated starting rotations, underrated starting pitchers. We like finding the diamonds in the rough. Um, I like seeing the narrative around teams, around staffs, and seeing uh, are they are they going to overperform this narrative? Are they going to underperform this narrative? We're picking two teams that are going to overperform the narrative set for them in 2022. So each of us got two rotations, and we got two starting pitchers. You want to go first with your two rotations? Dude, I, I, I'm, I'm at the, I think I've given this analogy before on the podcast, but I'm definitely at that point where I'm the, the waitress is coming. I already told her not, not like to come back in a few minutes and I'll be ready to order. And I still don't know what I'm ordering and she's coming back now. And and now I'm kind of freaking out and I'm about to panic order. Um, and I'm, I'm hitting them with the, Oh, you guys go first trying to look like a gentleman, but I'm really just trying to buy myself more time. Um, yeah. that's, that's basically what I'm doing right now. So why don't you go first? I'll, I'll go first. I'll rip off my two rotations right now. Uh, it, my first underrated rotation for this year is Tampa. And you could say, Jack, you idiot. How is Tampa an underrated rotation? And I'm saying, okay, yeah, they were first in the American League in staff ERA in 2021. But that's because the bullpen is their calling card. Whenever we talk about the Rays pitching staff, I feel like a lot of the time we're talking about, A, the bullpen, and last year, Tyler Glasnow, too. They were 14th in starter ERA a year ago. No Tyler Glasnow at all this year, but they're loaded with stupid fastballs, stupid sliders, and they've got a vet sprinkled in, too. So I'm just going to run through the five real quick. Shane McClanahan has a fastball that sat at 96. If he can command the fastball, he's got a stuff. I love McClanahan. I love the jump he gets off the mound. Shane Boz, we've oozed over him time and time again. Small sample size, but like the fastball slider combo alone can get him into the top 10 of Cy Young voting. Mm -hmm. I think if he improves the shape and the velocity disparity with his slider and his curveball, I mean, he's a Cy Young contender immediately. 
and we've never seen somebody I, I can't think in the prospect world the last time I've seen somebody go from you know concerning command issues to zero some of the best commands in the minor leagues last year it was ridiculous um, pretty awesome it was a light switch. I mean, he couldn't throw a strike during some starts in like lower level minor league baseball. And then all of a sudden he gets to Montgomery and Durham and he's like, what, a, a 4% walk rate? Even though he like struck out a hundred walk day. Like it was, it was something stupid. That's <laughs> it was something ridiculous out of the gate. Um, I think Drew Rasmussen's really good. He was a relief like arm. You like him? I like him. I, I just think they don't even need to use him as a starter. <laughs> they don't need to. They don't need to. Milwaukee was like, okay, you're a starter that isn't ready, so we'll have you in the bullpen to throw hard fastballs. And then Tampa got him and was like, F that. You know, like, here's 10 relief outings. Here's 10 starts. Let's see what you can do. Yeah, I think he's that Swiss Army knife. And his swing man has a negative connotation. I think he's like an elite swing man. Yeah. I mean, you look at the return for Willie Adamas. And what Adamas did for Milwaukee was really good. Yes. Fire Eyes and I think a lot of people in Tampa thought that he was going to be better, but Rasmussen I think is better than previously billed. Oh, he had a 100%. two four four ERA in twenty outings, and it, and the stuff has always been there. He he's he's a good good arm. And the thing is, I think the Rays see him as a, as a potential starter. Yeah. Um. And and they know that okay, worst case, let's say we whiff and we're wrong. He's not a starter. That guy's a, a good reliever. He sits ninety seven with a good slider. If all goes to shit for him, he's a seventh inning guy. Like yes. everything, you know? Yes. So I, I think it's a good spot. I love Patino too. Luis Patino yeah. has an electric fastball that he misses over the heart of the plate with at points. He's a fly ball pitcher in the trap, which is good for him because the trap is notoriously pitcher friendly. Um, he, although fly balls might not be good for those outfielders with the white fucking yeah, roof. They, oh they might God. just disappear. Might uh, disappear. Yeah. Uh, but what do you think of Patino? Like, are you, are you buying the dip or are you like, you know what? This guy might not be that. No, I'm buying the dip. I think he was rushed in San Diego. Um, and you know, we've seen that happen in San Diego. Uh, and then he goes over to Tampa and Tampa changed his slider big time. If you look at the movement profile from, and, and we know that Tampa has their own slider, basically. He started to show a really good feel for that slider, but imagine you, me, you totally tweaked, you know, one of your, one of your best pitches. I think there was flashes where we saw it really work, but he hadn't really had that body of work of with the new slider, with the new tweaks to his mechanics. I think he needed a little bit more time and I'm expecting all of those adjustments with the Rays to really shine next year. I don't, I think he's still going to be a guy that's hit or miss. I think he's going to be a streaky pitcher, which is weird to say, because I don't usually call pitchers streaky, but I think he's going to be one of those guys just because he's so athletic. And sometimes he's just, everything's going out too quick and does, everything doesn't always catch up but I think he's going to have just better, longer and more stretched out durations of success next year, which I'm excited to see. And, and when you watch the fastball, that's one of the jumpier fastballs I've seen. Oh, like that is so electric better. for 97. His arm speed's stupid. stupid. It's stupid. He's too talented. He's too talented for the, the way I look at it. I, let's just make it as simple as possible. He is as physically gifted of a pitcher as you're going to find in that age group. He really should still be a prospect uh, if he wasn't rushed. Yeah, And you have him in the organization that develops those kind of guys as well as anybody. I'll bet on that and I'll lose on that, you know, on that bet. Okay. So think about all this young electricity that I just named. Despite Glass now, who's not even pitching. McClanahan, Boz, Rasmussen, Patino. They've got Corey Kluber to learn from this year. That's like Kyle right. Snyder having another assistant pitching coach. This is awesome. Absolutely. And I think they're going to help Kluber a little bit. And like that, uh, you see a lot of veteran pitchers make little tweaks to their arsenal, do, do things that help their longevity. And, and I, I bet Kluber even makes some small tweaks. He's so gifted. 
Um, and I bet I already, I can almost guarantee he's going to come out with a little bit of a new looked pitch and it's going to, it's going to play. It's really about health for Kluber. Well, and I can promise in like late May, early June, he's going to be sitting there at the podium after a six inning quality start. And he's going to be like, yeah, I mean, these guys keep me young. Like I guarantee yeah. they're like, yeah, yeah, I found the fountain of youth with these guys. And, and shit, man, I almost would. I mean, I'm assuming Rasmussen's going to be in the rotation, but I'd be cool with almost in the first few months of the season, just piggybacking Rasmussen off of uh, Yarbrough. Yeah. Is he still there? Yeah. Yarbrough's yeah. still there. He kind of sucks. Yeah, uh, but like, but you don't, no, that, I'm saying you don't you need him. Do I just that. didn't name him. You can even do that with Kluber. Like, I, I almost want to pace Kluber so slow, ramp him up. You don't need him until the postseason, right? The Rays are going to be, I, I almost want to just slow, I want to load manage Corey Kluber. I'm going to load that? manage him, but I don't know if they'll do that. Uh, and then that? don't forget the guys in the minors. Um, Tommy Romero, for me, is, I know I've mentioned him a few times on this podcast. I think pitchability wise, three above average pitches, an invisible fastball, kind of like Joe Ryan. And he just makes it work. I, I think that's a guy that great depth arm. If somebody gets hurt, if you're thin, a couple guys go down, Tommy Romero could go in there and, and succeed right away. I, that's another depth arm that I really like. He's already shown success in AAA and just made a joke of double A hitters. And doesn't McKay come back this year? Yeah. Whatever they get from him is a bonus. It's a bonus. Hey, he could be a swing man too. He could be a swing man slash DH. He could swing both ways. I was going to um, say he, he could just be a lefty bat off the bench at this point. I'm yeah. So th that was my main rotation that I wanted to shout out. The other one is Detroit. Like I, I think a lot of people are jumping yeah. off the Titanic with Detroit right now. And I'm telling you that the Titanic might've figured out where the leak was coming from. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, I think Chris Fetter is a really good pitching coach. I think Eduardo Rodriguez was actually a pretty good sign for them. I have been down on Erod a lot. Um, I think that he might benefit from being at Comerica Park. When you look you at Park Factor, Comerica is way easier to be at than Fenway. You think he might? He absolutely will. It's yeah. how much? Um, Scooble has nice. a good fastball and a fine slider. His arm side running pitches, he gets better spin on, but opponents hit it better. I don't know why that makes sense. Uh, I think Tyler Alexander is a fine starting option. Ugh. And then I, I want to talk about Casey Mize just for a minute, because I know you don't like him. And like, I like him. Um, I don't know why I'm still holding on to hope for him, but, but I am like, I just think that he's got the stuff and I think he just needs to tinker with the repertoire and how much he uses each pitch. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I think a good start would be just not using the sinker ever. Um, which he uses about 23% of the time. That pitch got shellacked last year. But 322 batting average against, 572 slugging on a pitch he throws a third of the time. Um, get that pitch out of there. I, I think if he eliminates that pitch, there's, there's a lot more hope. My concern with him is I just think his margin for error is so razor thin. Um, you know, the, the split finger pitch that you know, is supposed to be that 80-grade pitch or whatever – he only throws it 13% of the time. Um, and that's, that's up. Actually that's down, excuse me, from 2020. Uh, and he had more success last year. So is he phasing that pitch out? The curveball is really just a strike stealer. So all he has that he really relies on heavily four seamer slider, and then the occasional split finger, uh, the slider was good. I mean, that's a good pitch for sure. And the four seamer is he's got to be really careful with it. So I just look at him and I'm like, he needs to be pretty on with the command to, to be, 
successful as like a number three. Am I, yeah. I just, I don't see well, what's, what's the upside with Casey. Mize. He's not, he's never going to be an ACE. Uh, and I don't even think he's going to be a number two guy like ever. I think you're hoping for a solid number three. And I think I'm stretching to even see that. Okay. So that's where I think we disagree. I think he can be a two. I think he can because with I what think though, with um, better command of the fastball, like that's, what's got to happen. It's a non-starter if the fastball command doesn't get better. I mean, yeah. he, he is a four at best. If he continues to leave fastballs down the deck, that's just plain and simple. Casey Mize needs to figure out how to dot the corners with his fastball because it's not a good enough fastball to miss over the heart of the plate. It's tough. It's we've tough seen when, you, when all you have is a slider really. Yeah. But like the slider's fine. And we've seen how disgusting the splitter is when it's on. He only throws the splitter like 12% of the time. I'm saying like throw it more. But when he threw it more in 2020, it got, it got pulverized. 313 opponent batting average in in 2020. I I just, I'm holding out hope that he's continuing to learn. I hope so. I mean, he's, he's talented guy. No doubt about it. Uh, Here's the thing that's kind of concerning to me. Home runs by pitch eight on the four seamer, five on the slider nine on the sinker and two on the split finger get rid of that freaking sinker man i i think if he gets rid of the sinker he could be in much much better shape i'd almost rather him mix in more curveballs and just go four seamer four seamer four seamer if they hit the four seamer they hit the four seamer but i mean that pitch is still way better than than what the sinker was giving him i I get he's trying to pitch to contact get ground balls but i think part of the reason why the, the sinker and the split finger kind of mimic each other and they're only about six miles per hour apart there's just not enough separation there and and they have a similar break i I would just not go to that pitch anymore yeah so i'm buying the dip on detroit but i think tampa is the most underrated rotation in baseball who are your two it's time to order all right it's time to order at the restaurant so the marlins were one that i would obviously say but that's like that's everybody's trendy pick right like i feel like yeah i feel like people are and exactly and i don't want to be a homer but i just wanted to mention them so that people don't say oh well what about the marlins they're sick. I mean, they have two young stuff, two of the best, I think two of the most exciting young pitchers in the game in terms of like 25 and younger, 26 and younger. And you've got two top 15 pitchers. Yeah. Yeah. And then Pablo Pablo is a great three. And then we know how many different arms they have that they can mix in and and try. Uh, That's why I really like the Mariners um, because of that reason. They have a little bit to figure out out of the gate in terms of who's going to get what innings. And that's something we talked about, but I just think that this rotation is going to settle in and be, be good. I, I, I love the addition of Robbie Ray. I know you're mixed on that, but regardless, it's a really good pitcher. You're adding to the equation. I like what we saw from Logan Gilbert down the stretch. I think he's going to take his game to another level. Chris Flexen has proven that he can be a solidified, you know, back end of the rotation guy. Marco Gonzalez, we're going to talk about for a second. Uh, I think a proven good back of the rotation guy. And then you have like five prospects who could potentially chip in next year at the big league level. George Kirby, by the way, he's playing with a knuckleball. I saw that. Apparently it's disgusting. I saw Uh, that. Kirby could be big league ready. And then you have, uh, there's how many prospects do you think could actually arguably be big league ready for that team next year. I mean, you could go to Brandon Williamson. You could go to Matt Brash. Like there's, you could almost rotate different arms and they could fail and try another top 100 prospect. And Justin Dunn's coming back. Dunn's coming back. Full hell. And talk to me in August. And I might say that Hancock is a good addition in September. Yeah, he could be. 
there's a legitimate world where, where he is. So I just think there's so many irons in the fire. there, just playing the percentages, that rotation. It might not be the most exciting in the world, but I think they're going to find a way. And then even, I don't like justice Sheffield, but that's a good depth arm. Fine. He's still only 25. If he's the <laughs> seven. Fuck it. Nicole. Yeah. He's a seventh arm. And then you, you also, I just look at that and I'm like, there's so many irons in the fire. Uh, give me that. Right. Give me those percentages. And, and I feel pretty good about it. I think the funny thing before we recorded is you're like Marco Gonzalez isn't good. I, I get it, but like, he's kind of decent. God, like so career 404 ERA. He had a 396 ERA in 2021. Um, I just like I called him a little stubby guy that throws 88. Yeah. Um, I like I right before we recorded the first thing, I didn't say hi arm when you hopped on the zoom. I just said, Does Marco Gonzalez suck? And you were like, No, he doesn't. And I was like, Okay, yeah, you're right, he doesn't suck. And then I said, Is Marco Gonzalez good? you're like, well, <laughs> and, and then you took a long time. So you did just drop the G word for Gonzalez. Um, I just, I, I'll push. I don't think he's good. Like, I don't, I don't yeah, think he's. I think that's fair. What, what is, what is the word for him? I think he's a pitcher. Okay. He's, he's a guy who pitches baseballs. But, but like, okay. How many number of, I, this is probably something we probably should have done before, but I, I look at, at, how many rotations would be better off with Marco Gonzalez in it? I could probably tell you a, a lot. I think more than half of the league would be better off with Marco Gonzalez in their rotation versus whoever else is in that rotation presently. Yeah, uh, I'm pulling up last year's standings right now. Oh, I got to skip this from MLB at back. I'll, I'll fly through a bunch that I know right now that I think would be better. All the, right, let's, yeah, let's run through it. Orioles would be better. The Angels yeah. would be better. The Astros would be better. Um, the Rangers would be better. Diamondbacks. Who's the Giants five? Um, Giants would be better. Yeah, like if, if Beatty's healthy, I guess Beatty would be the five, and that's not a good five. No, it's horrible. Rockies would be better. Pirates, obviously. Reds, obviously. Cubs would kill. Would kill. For a Marco Gonzalez. For a Marco Gonzalez. You kidding Oakland? me? Oakland, Anaheim, okay. yeah, fuck. Nationals, man. Nationals, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, like, yeah. Phillies, Philly, would you rather have Marco Gonzalez or Hans Kraus pitching for you? You're trying to win I that I don't year? know. Like, I guess Marco, Marco Gonzalez. Oh. Marco Gonzalez, absolutely. Right. So, a majority of the league. I The Twins, they would sever a pinky, I think, to, to, to get him. Instead of Griffin Jacks, J-A-X, Jacks? Bailey Ober and his fucking post game. Like, He's I, like 7-4. Yeah. Um, so, like, kind of interesting. He, a lot of teams would like him. Yeah, damn. All right. Uh, let's run through some underrated arms real quick. I've got to give my them. second team. Oh, who's your second team? <laughs> You're going to get a kick out of this one, I think. The Phillies. Okay. <laughs> the Phillies. I, I really think that the Phillies could be a rotation that is better than people make it out to be. I, Everyone's like, okay, yeah, this is an offensive heavy team. I agree. I agree. Zach Wheeler is one of the best pitchers in the game, right? I mean, he's, would you say almost, you, you can undisputed top eight, weird number, I know, but undisputed top eight. DeGrom, Cole, Scherzer, Bieber. And then you, uh, Bueller. 
I mean, I think you can make the Wheeler. Yeah. I mean, I'm saying moving forward. Yeah, maybe. But going into next year. And then Wheeler might be seven or eight. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would pretty much say undisputed number eight. Aaron Nola had a down year last year, like really down year. And, you know, still showed so many amazing. I mean, 223 Ks and 180 innings is really good. He only walked 39 batters. We, we talked about the control versus command. That's the whole thing. Aaron Nola will be better at baseball next year. Way better. Way, 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 way better. I, I really do believe it. So I, Nola, I think is going to be, that's a one-two combo there that if Nola is pitching to, the, to his capabilities, could one of the best be, one-twos in baseball. One of the best one-twos in baseball. The emergence of Ranger Suarez is massive. Absolutely massive. And honestly, dude, I'm sold on what we've seen from Andrew Suarez. Do I think he's going to pitch to a 1-3-6 ERA like he did in 12 starts last year? Of course not. But holy crap, man, he pitched to a 1-3-6 ERA in 106 innings last year. That's crazy. I think he could easily be a low threes guy for the duration of the season. Kyle Gibson hit a bit of a wall after he was traded over to the Phillies. But, dude, Kyle Gibson's are number four. He's a fine number four. Then they have a few different irons in the fire for number five. Hans Kraus. Uh, Hans Kraus is someone that I think could be a piece. Maybe not. Well, we got to see a little bit more. Zach Eflin, he's coming back off of surgery. He could end up being a contributor. I think the number five is the big question. They could still go out and sign a number five. The problem is they don't really have any prospects, and they are so nuts for trading away Pavetta. I mean, could you imagine this rotation would actually be really good? I think really solid if they had Pavetta. But still, with those three guys at the top, and then you finally have – some consistency at your four with somebody like Kyle Gibson. I think this could be a sneaky, good rotation. They can be. Um, yeah. I, I think so that two obviously is nowhere near as good as Cole Scherzer or uh, uh, DeGrom Scherzer. Sorry. Yeah. Um, but if you were to pick the Phillies or the Mets rotation right now, what would you go with? Shit, I mean, who, who do the Mets have now? It's exactly. Um, uh, DeGrom, Scherzer, Taiwan Walker, Carrasco. Yeah. And McGill. I mean, just DeGrom and Scherzer are just too freaking good. So it's, it's impossible. It's impossible to pass up on that, you know? Yeah. But like it, you can have the conversation. I think so. It's just, just because of DeGrom's health issues and, and Scherzer's age. Right. I mean, but I think it's too hard to pass up on that. It is. Uh, it is. I'm with you. Like I'm picking the Mets because of those two alone, but I, Three, four, and five for the Phillies is a lot better than three, four, and five for the Mets. Yeah, I would take the three, four, and five for the Phillies. I, I, I would, and it, which is crazy because it depends, though, because Cookie Carrasco could actually be good if he if he just is healthy. I mean, yeah. he, he's nasty. Everyone yeah. talks about how nasty he is. I've, some big leaguers have said one, one of the more uncomfortable ABs. I, you know, I think I think you're you're onto it. I agree with your point. But and Walker also showed flashes till he hit a wall. Like there's some big. Between those two guys, it could be not even close in favor of the Phillies on on the three, four, five, or the Mets could be pretty pretty freaking crazy. Those guys are two coin flips. I think that should be interesting. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Let's run through two underrated arms real quick. My first one is Denelson Lamette. I think he's the forgotten star on the like this loaded on paper team, right? Lots and lots of people want to talk about San Diego's dysfunction and the underwhelming big names, and you're like right to do so. I'm here for it. But remember, for the Hosmers and the Darvishes and the Snells, there's the Jake Cronenworths, and then you've got the Denelson Lamets. Yeah. Lamette was dealing with injury, and durability is a major question for him. But this guy, when healthy, 
is like 12 strikeouts per nine and a sub three ERA. No, he's he throws, gross. He's gross. He throws he's proven, his slider He's proven gross too. Like he, he's proven that he can pitch. He finished fourth in Cy Young voting in 2020. In 2020, he threw his slider 51% of the time. Opponents hit 80 against it. 080, 080 against his slider. In 2019, they hit 147 against his slider. In 2021, when he did pitch, opponents hit 158 against his slider. And he throws it 51% of the time. He is slider, he is fastball, and then he sprinkles in a changeup. And it's nasty. Fastball sits 97 Boom. I think Denelson Lamette has ace stuff when he's healthy. Ace stuff, you know, that's that's the big line there, right? When he's healthy. And that's the concern, right? I mean, it just seems like his arm can't hold up right now. If he if he is able to go and go every fifth day, this Padres, he's an X factor for the Padres. I know Clevenger, of course, but I really think he's an X factor for the Padres. He's, he, he can be that good. So I'm with you. If you can run out Darvish, Snell, Clevenger, Lamette, Oh. And then Weathers as the five or Gore, if he turns it around as a five. That's crazy. It's sick. Uh, and then my second guy is Adrian Hauser. Um, speaking of loaded rotation, right? Like all the flowers are given to Burns, Woodruff, and Freddie Peralta, but he was like a solid swing man in 2019. He was a bad starter in 2020. He had like a 5 8 ERA. And then he threw 142 innings with a 3 2 2 ERA this past year. Yeah. I mean, it's he's he's said fuck it to his four seam fastball, and he's becoming a true sinker guy. And he gets a lot of soft contact. He rolls a lot of ground balls. And Hauser behind strikeout king Corbin Burns, <laughs> velocity king Brandon Woodruff, and batting average against king Freddie Peralta. If you have a really good sinker baller, and then Aaron Ashby who throws ninety eight from the left side, borderline best rotation in baseball, and which. Uh, that team is scary, man. I, I really, I'm looking at it. I want to see what they do on the other side of the, uh, on the other side of the lockout, but that's a team that should be a popular bet for, for world series champion, just because of how good the odds are going to be when you have that kind of pitching. And then that's something that Jeff Cohen, I know he says on outside the box. He's like, if, if a team has a three headed monster in the rotation, they've always got a shot. I don't care what their offensive situation is. And the, the brewers aren't, miserably bad they've addressed a lot of those those things already and you know Yelich can't be worse so I, i'm very excited about that team and as you said it'll be a big x factor too who are your two guys so i'm gonna go you're gonna like one of mine but first is is alex wood you'll like the other one i think um alex wood not only has he been great during this lockout and been a very good outspoken well-spoken voice for the pa he can throw a little bit man I remember, you know, watching him come up all the way back with his days with the Braves uh, and watching him come up against the Marlins. And I remember saying, this guy can pitch. There's always some inherent reliever risk, but I think he's kind of circumvented that with pretty solid command. And he got some, some pretty decent amount of swings and misses last year. I, he was as good as he was ever in terms of getting a lot of weak contacts. He does not give up a lot of barrels. He gets a lot of whiffs and he doesn't walk guys really as much anymore. Uh, after a rocky 2020, got that walk rate back down to about 6.7%, which is great. Strikeout rate career high at 26%. Some bad batted ball luck, uh, but the changeup development and, and that pitch has gotten better and better, which has helped him kind of offset righties. And his slider is one of the best, I think one of the best left-handed sliders from a starter in baseball. I don't think there's that many other southpaws 
that are starting pitchers with better sliders than Alex Woods. And I love, I love, love, love a good deceptive pitcher who is sinker slider. Yes. Those things go in opposite ways. When you're from a d- difficult release point, opposite ways, that makes you effective against lefties and righties. And that's why he's comfortable throwing that slider left on left even too, which is a big, big factor. It takes the pressure off his change up a little bit. He can play. Well, look at the ace in San Francisco right now and Logan Webb. I mean, he's a deceptive sinker slider guy and like he's one of the best. And they go like opposite action. It's it's you're thinking as a hitter, am I diving over the plate or is it in on my hands? Those are two such contrasting thoughts that it's yeah. it's a headache to, to, to hit. 100%. Your second guy. And real quick, that that slider, 184 expected or 189 expected batting average, 184 batting average, 40% whiff rate, Dang. 32% put away percentage, meaning you know that's the pitch that he puts guys away with. Uh, yeah, mind blowing stuff there, right? From Alex uh, Wood, folks. Alex Wood. Next guy, who I really think is going to bounce back this year, Dane Dunning, former Chicago White Sox farmhand, and a little bit more. I mean, he played quite a bit over there before getting shipped over to Texas in the Lance Texas. Lynn deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I was like freezing around, like shoot, because he was drafted by the Nationals. Uh, like <laughs> one of those, he's already like low key a journeyman. But yeah, well, so Dunning, I mean, the fleecing, although I don't know how much of a fleecing it was, it was a fleecing. Um, Adam Eaton went to Washington for Giolito, Dane Dunning, and Reynaldo Lopez. And Lopez yeah. didn't work out the way that you were hoping to, but Giolito yeah. was turned into an ace. And, and Dane Dunning, I think, is a really good pitcher who you just flipped as the main piece for Lance Lynn, who finished top five in Cy Young voting. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but, you know, a lot of people, a lot of teams have believed in Dunning. And, you know, Dunning, the, the question with him has always been velocity. And his velo was down last year, uh, which I think was a bit of a concern. But if I'm not mistaken, I mean, we didn't see too many reports about any legitimate injuries for Dunning. Um, maybe there were some discomforts, whatever it was. The velo dropping by a mile per hour and a half is, you know, that's going to change a lot. Uh, yeah. The velo dropped by two miles an hour on his slider. He was still at points effective. And I think finding ways he had to be so careful with his stuff, not playing up the same way. And I think that kind of resulted in him being a bit uh, too careful at times, walking guys a bit more than usual. The whiff rates on the slider and changeup are great. Uh, the sinker has been a proven solid pitch to get ground balls. The cutter sucks. He only threw it 8% of the time and it got just bludgeoned. Just get rid of that. Yeah. Um, so you throw your worst pitch less and, you know, go to that slider a bit more. Uh, he mixed in a curveball that was really good. I think he just has so many different pitches he can attack you with. A track record of just pitchability that I think he's going to find a way to just be a solid arm. And, and just hopefully, I mean, that's contingent on the VLO coming back. But I'm just a believer in Dane Dunning finding ways to get outs. And I'll bet on that with, with his deep arsenal. Yeah, no, he he does seem like an outgetter. Right? When you watch him pitch, it's like, okay, yeah, this guy He'll is find an ways. outgetter. He'll find ways. I think the curveball is really good. I wish he mm-hmm. took the curveball more. I, I think it's, I think he will. Yeah, I, I think it's got a lot of that vertical draw. It, it's got 12-6 action, and it's got some serious bite to it. It's fun to watch. It's an aesthetically pleasing curveball. Absolutely. I'm with so. you. So those are my two guys. Let's wrap very quickly with some college hoops because you and I are both college hoops junkies. We've got a couple of automatic bids. Uh, Longwood won the Big South. I don't know anything about Longwood. I thought Winthrop was going to come out of that league. Uh, first NCAA tournament appearance for Longwood upcoming. Congratulations to Longwood. Um, two other bids that we have locked up, though, uh, and two legitimate teams. Missouri Valley, Loyola Chicago won it again. 
Uh, I thought Loyola was going to lose to Missouri State, who's a really good team. But Loyola, obviously phenomenal. Porter Moser went to Oklahoma. Drew Valentine, Denzel Valentine's brother, is the new head coach. He was the longtime assistant. Um, well, not long time because I think he's only like 28, 29 years old. But he's a really good head coach. Um, Lucas Williamson is still there. He was on that Final Four team. And Sister Jean turns 103 I was about to say, is she still August, there? Turns she- 103 in August, and she's still emailing um, post-game reports and giving the pregame sermon every time. She's, I was, I was going to ask she was still if she was still kicking yeah that's awesome that's awesome 103 103 so babe ruth hit like i i don't even what would what would the the what would the like context be there that babe ruth probably hit like 450 home runs after she was born pretty much um let's might have hit like five he might have hit 500 home runs after she was born sister jean was born August 21st, 1919. <laughs> things 1919! Happen, things to happen in 1919. Let's see. Um, troops returned home from World War I in 1919. The first one! The yeah, first the Treaty one. of Versailles was signed. Um, Woodrow Wilson was the president when Sister Jean was born. Jeez. Oh, man. How about that? Um, and um, so, by the way, if you want to know how many home runs Babe Ruth hit after Sister Jean was born, basically all of them. <laughs> he hit 680 home runs after Sister Jean was born. Let's see, I'm scrolling to her birthday. Let's see what happened. Uh, what did I say? August 21st? I think so. August 21st. All right. Um, August. Continuing on the Babe Ruth thing while you look that up. She outlived Babe Ruth by 74 years. Jeez. Think about God. that. Nothing of note happened on her birthday. Um, 64 years. Yeah, nothing crazy. Uh, 74, but, 74. That's yeah, that's nuts. pointless. Let's talk about the Ohio Valley winner. Murray State went undefeated in conference play. I mean, Murray State's a top 20 team in America. They're really, really good. How did they load up again? Um, You know, like I was looking at the recruiting class. It wasn't that good. Their transfers weren't that good. Is their coach just that fire? Like, you know more about those, the coach and that stuff than me. Yeah, their coach is good. Um, They have a lot of the same guys, like they're veteran. And that means that the juniors and seniors played with John Morant and went at the tournament with John Morant and they learned from John Morant. Um, you've got Tevin Brown, who is a, a fourth year junior, I want to say, who was like <laughs> kind of one of those lead guard running mates with John Morant, who can shoot it and who can drive. Uh, and then they've got a post KJ Williams, who's really good. Um, but major conferences real, real quick. Who do you like out of the big 10 to win that conference tournament this week? Ooh. Oh, gosh. Out of the big 10 tech. Big Ten. I mean, Big Ten. Sorry, Big Ten. Big. I always do that. I always do that. Big Ten. How does Purdue lose? Uh, Iowa. I think. Like I think Purdue, um, because Edie and Kofi Coburn cancel each other out if Purdue sees Illinois. Purdue's but then, really good. But then, but then, but then, who does Illinois have to match Jaden Ivy? Nobody. Like Plummer. That's what I'm saying. So, I, I, dude, I got to work on the Big Ten, Big Twelve thing. It's the yeah, most Floridian. Do. It's the most Floridian thing. I, my, my friend Sam Niederman, who I called games with in the Cape, big college yeah. junkie too. He would get, he would look at me like I had a third eye. 
when I would mix up Big Ten and Big 12. I know they're very different. He's an IU guy. Yeah, he's an IU guy. Uh, But no, I just, I don't see how Purdue, I just, the the big man and the guard combination, they've got shooters. I I, I think Purdue can find a way. I, 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 that's my pick. Yeah, you got to iron out the Big Ten, Big 12 thing because as soon as we talk college basketball for the first time on the podcast, you lost immediate credibility when you You lost, I lost all credibility brutal absolutely brutal i like purdue if anybody's gonna win it uh, despite purdue i think it's iowa because i think keegan murray is really really talented big 12 i'm with you i really like texas tech although baylor's good um kansas i think is an overrated team they're always kind of overrated i I, yeah i don't it's kind of they're kind of a one-man show right i mean i i think you neutralize neutralize abaji and what i mean how are they gonna beat you is remy martin gonna go get you no i just i just don't i don't i'm not worried about them um i think texas tech they're just they're physical they're athletic it's a classic texas tech team and i think that's why that's why i'm so confident in them if they were playing a different kind of basketball i'd be like okay yeah they're playing well but that's not like tech ball they're playing tech basketball that's why i'm like they're gonna they're gonna make this thing work yeah, damn. Uh, SEC, it's Kentucky's to lose. I understand Auburn is like the one seed, but Kentucky's so freaking good, and Oscar I mean, Sheboy is the player. I was going to say you said you said it to me. That's that they've got the player of the year. I mean, the guy can take over a game with his ability to rebound and score um, and defend around the rim. I mean, that's the type of big man that pretty much just just can stifle a team uh, yeah. in the tournament in either tournament, the main tournament or, or conference play. So, yeah. yeah. And, and I think Kentucky's starting to settle in at, at the right time. I think if I had to pick a, a national champ right now, even including Gonzaga, I think it's Kentucky. I think Kentucky's my national title pick right now, just because I don't think anybody can match what Shibwe does. And then they've got <laughs> enough talent elsewhere. Um, Pac-12, UCLA and Arizona, I think are the two best teams. I don't think USC is that good. Um my heart says UCLA because they've got like that veteran presence and I like Hawkes, but Arizona works so fast. Like they go such, they go at such a quick tempo. Ben Matherin's a top five pick. And then they've got like a bunch of big foreign guys to Bellis, Coloco, Balo, like just keep on going with random foreign names. And like, they've got it. Yeah. And, and another team that the, the back 12 is just kind of a mess, right? Every time it seems like one team's going to finally separate themselves, it becomes just a cluster and Arizona state beats somebody or, you know, it's just, there's always just some wild scenario where a bottom, a bottom dweller in the PAC 12 beats a team you're expecting to never lose. You know, I think we both agree. USC is pretty fraudulent. I will say UCLA, they've been great. I don't want to like slight them, but I was expecting them to be a bit more dominant after the returning so many guys uh, after what they did last year. Uh, they've been good. And I think they're still always a sleeping giant after what they did last year and returning most of their dudes. Uh, But I I really think, like you said, talent wise, it seems like Arizona's uh, conference tournament to lose. And the thing is, is no one's really stood out in in that conference. Nobody has totally separated themselves. And I'm just going to take the team with the most talent. Yeah. All right. Last one. Does Providence win the big East or is it a Villanova? Ooh, Providence. I like Providence this year. There's something, there's something magical going on over there. I, I don't have any fancy, uh, breakdown to go like I just when I watch <laughs> Providence I just I, I just feel some magic there I don't know how to describe it it just seems like and also this is a good Villanova team this isn't a classic you know Jay Wright Villanova team I, I I just think there's it's wide open this year and Providence has something going for them and they're deep yeah I I like Nova because Gillespie I think is the best player in the Big East but 
um, for all you minor league heads in, in Ode to the Paw Sox came in that uh, in that Providence Xavier game, triple overtime. Uh, Bynum hits that deep three and Andrew Catalan yells Bynum from Pawtucket, which was freaking awesome. That got yeah. my shit going. So, uh, yeah, you know what? Shout out the Friars. Shout out Ben Bellotti, our video editor slash co-host of the Boys of Spring podcast. Um, a proud Providence Friar currently enrolled at Providence College. Um, guy is loving his T Swift at the dunk. Uh, but here's hoping they can uh, make it uh, far along in the tournament. And Ed Cooley should be national coach of the year. We've already taken up a shit ton of their time. You have anything else you got to say? Miami Hurricanes winning the ACC. Oh, okay. Uh, the ACC sucks this year. I'm going to go with Notre Dame. All right. We'll talk to you tomorrow.